0: Okay, please turn in your Bibles to 1st Peter. 1st Peter chapter 2. I'll be reading 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Great shepherd of the sheep. who has gathered us into your flock. By the power of your Spirit, allow the meaning written in Holy Scripture come forth, not only to our minds, but to our hearts. Oh, will you enlighten the eyes of our heart to see the beauty of what you have revealed in Holy Scripture. To the glory of your name, to the sanctification of our souls, I pray. Amen. Over the last two weeks, we concentrated on the first proposition in verse 24. Christ bore our sins in His body on the tree. We saw that as our substitutionary sacrifice, Jesus removed legal guilt that we had in God's presence. He did it by being incarnated and coming and absorbing, bearing, as a substitute, God's holy wrath that was against sinners. That's where we were for two weeks. On that first proposition, let it sink in. If you were truly converted to Christ, you don't have to wake up in the morning loaded down with guilt. And I don't mean merely guilt feeling feelings. I mean the key to being free from guilt feelings is understanding in God you're not guilty now. It's been paid. And not only that, you're perfectly righteous, not because of anything you've done but because of what Jesus did in His humanity. He lived, unlike Adam, in perfect righteousness. And God has attributed, counted, imputed His life to you. Oh, what a wonderful cross. That's where we were for two weeks on the atonement. But... Now look at the text. In this text, in the context, in what Peter is doing, that atonement is the foundation for his main point. The purpose clause. Verses 24 and 25 is about God's purpose for His people which Christ's Atonement guarantees. purchased. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. In order that. Here it comes. Why? In order that, we might die to sin. And live to righteousness. So, notice the purpose, the, the the goal of the atonement in this text is so that, he's writing to the church, is so that those who are His would die to sin and be living to righteousness. In other words, the ultimate purpose of the cross in this text is that those people, those who are being saved by it, are, not maybe, changing. That's his point in verses 24 and 25. I don't want you to miss the last two weeks. The center of the Gospel. When I say center, because if you don't get that right first, what we talk about this morning is going to, you, you know, you can just totally misconstrue it and get the Gospel wrong. The center of the Gospel is that on the cross, what was going on was a transaction between Christ the Savior and the eternal Godhead. Nothing That we talked about last two weeks was happening in you. He he was saving particular human beings before you ever had a clue. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. And what was happening was that God was justifying many. Meaning, putting them right. It had to do with something in God changing. Got to get that. Nothing in you yet. But, now, here we are this week. The work of the cross. That's the first vital, foundational work of the cross. And now the but that work of the cross doesn't stop there Christ bore our sins now see see flowing out so that those who are being saved would be in process of changing dying of sin and living to righteousness now uh, to say that was that clear so far to say that that Clearly, and what you've got to judge is this: is the pastor correct? Is that what the text says? To say that that clearly in our day and age, I fear that with who knows how many evangelical churchgoers, that feels like horrible news. <laughs> I, I like the first aspect of the cross. Christ died for my sin, and, and this is right, I can do and act in any way, in no way that would make it appropriate for God to save me because of something I do. Yes, I like that. It's by grace alone, through faith alone. And then when you say, now flowing out of that, the cross has purchased a life that would mean you're dying to sin and living to righteousness. They're saying, oh, I don't like that. And I think there's different reasons for that kind of response. One is because many, they've just never been born again. Their, their, their hearts are still in rebellion, and they think that they've heard the gospel. Jesus loves you, and he'll fix your marriage. And okay, I sign up. What do I do? Well, say prayer, you know, get baptized, and join church. Okay, that's, that's one. But I think there's other reasons, and maybe very genuine Christians, like they've had such horrendous church experiences of abuse and legalism, that, that the idea you start to let text of Scripture like this mornings speak and say, "This has to do with how you live." How you are married, how you are a parent, how you live in society, and how you repent—it has to do with the direction of your life. And nope, forget it. I'm out. I love Christ. I believe. I'm in. And I can either do with or do without, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. With dying to sin, living to righteousness, or so, the third reason is that there's been such bad, unbiblical, horrible teaching over the last hundred years in the evangelical church world that has been blatant in some circles to teach that the grace of God in saving a sinner by faith alone, which is true, and apart from anything you do is utterly separated From sanctification, not just distinct from, but separated from, so that you can have two categories of Christians. You know, they're all Christians; they're all going to heaven because they confess Christ as Savior. And you got those who are who are being discipled, and those who aren't. Meaning, there's been it's evident there's nothing going on in their lives until they hit the grave. But they're all saved. That kind of teaching has been running rampant in the church. And so, they don't know how to put together texts like this. And they have a theological structure. And therefore, when they read texts like this, which are all over the New Testament, they do not know how to fit it into their understanding of what Christianity is. So, they hear it said clearly, and it's really bothersome to them. But, In this text, verse 24 is talking about the design of the cross freeing people from the enslaving power of sin, not just from the legal guilt of sin before God. Think about it. If a person really, really deep down thinks that the the good news of the gospel is only freeing us from the guilt of sin before God, but has nothing to do with freeing us from the enslaving power of sin, then, th- careful, that might be, as opposed to confusion, that might be a sign that that person's never been changed from their nature that they're born with born children of wrath and they've remained it and they've never been converted to Christ never come alive to Him. Those who have come alive to Christ, come to saving faith, not not merely some mental ascent, with brokenness, with, 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 with a Holy Spirit engendered consciousness of the ugliness of their own heart in sin... Find the Gospel and then in its, this wholeness that we saw the last two weeks and that, look at that, not only that, He's not going to leave me. He's going to be working on me. He's going to stay with me and free me from this, as Paul calls it, body of sin. That's good news to, the, to them. Verse 24 is saying, the cross... Has secured not only eternal life, not only Christ's righteousness imputation to you, not only the forgiveness of your sins, it has secured the work of God by the Spirit, freeing you in a way that was impossible apart from conversion to live towards righteousness. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might live to righteousness literally by dying to sin. So, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to understand this? How are we supposed to understand the implication of this text that those who profess faith in Christ with their mouths, but month after month and year after year are showing no evidence of a changed heart, of a changed life. The implication that they don't have saving faith, or to say it really clearly, the implication that Christ's substitutionary, sacrificial death has not been applied to them. Even though they might be pastors of churches. Here's let me just I'm come at it a couple of different ways. Then. I think the way we gotta to begin to understand the purpose clause here in verse 24 is in this larger context. So most of you have been here since we started first Peter, listening to the flow. Okay. Now let me just kind of put that in a nutshell when I see the flow going on. The atonement of Christ, Jesus coming and being the substitutionary sacrifice, as we saw last week, that He was the propitiation. He was the one where God's holy wrath went on and thus diverted away from sinners. That cross is the foundation upon which God Himself, don't turn it around, something changed here in God because of it. You who were His enemy have now been reconciled. So now, with that as a foundation, God is just, not unrighteous, to freely come to sinners. And He uses means and He brings the message of the gospel. And you hear it. And then He blows. On you. Maybe not your buddy. And your life is forever changed. He blew by His Spirit on the foundation of the cross because the cross purchased the blowing. And I'm getting that from Jesus. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What are you talking about? It's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from. It's where it goes. So is the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit. All of a sudden, what happened? What happened is all of a sudden, you found yourself willingly having come to Christ. And so God, on the foundation of the cross, tells you the reality. Your sins are totally put away. And not only that, my Son's life, His perfect obedience is your perfect obedience before me forever. This is the flow. That He takes those who were dead to God and He makes them alive to God by the work of the Holy Spirit. Back at the beginning of 1 Peter, the first two verses, which a lot of people you throw know, throwaway, introduction, um, salutation. This whole thing is right there in those first two verses. He says, Christian, you who are chosen, not based upon anything you've done, but according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, okay, by the same. Defying work of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes sets you apart unto obedience to Jesus Christ. It's right there. So, so okay, now that's a good, good table of contents, Peter. Unfold it. So he does. The very first verse in the body of the letter is, God the Father has come and He's caused you to be born again. Unto a living hope. Hope. That's the change. That's a heart issue. Something happened. What is it, Peter? He says it's this, chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible it's filled with glory. And you're obtaining the outcome of that faith. The salvation of your souls. Okay. You, you, you got that flow. The atonement purchased that. God comes and applies it by His sanctifying work of the Spirit. Boom! You're different. And it's producing obedience to Jesus Christ flowing out of a heart like that. That's what He's been saying. And so He comes to chapter 2, verse 24. And just, just see if you hear it. He Himself bore our sins in His body, on the tree, on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Yeah. Literally, in the original, it's not two coordinate clauses, two things that are equal. So that we will die and so that we will live. Literally, the main is this. So that we will live to righteousness. By the means of dying to sin. So that's the $64,000 question this morning. What in the world is this? What is He talking about? How are we to understand this dying to sin in the experience of those who are being saved by the cross. So here's, here's my shot at it. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and the cross that we heard the last two weeks, it comes. And this is what happens it breaks into the hearts by the power of the Spirit. Okay, where do remember Paul 1 Corinthians chapter 1? We preach Christ crucified. Okay, don't let me just slow down. The church is always universal. We're always tempted to try to make Jesus more appealing to worldly people than the gospel actually may be. Paul says, I'm not going to do it. He's preaching. A bloody, miserable death by execution of Christ. This is the Gospel. And we preach it. And here's the result. No one gets saved. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to everybody else in the world, it's stupid. It's foolishness. And it is. Don't be mistaken. The true gospel is foolishness to the wisdom of this world. But, thank goodness, he goes on and says, but to those who are called, to them something happens. To them this crazy message becomes to them the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, let me go back and start again then. The message comes and it breaks into the heart of a sinful human being. And it's called, the Holy Spirit comes and pulls him apart, sanctifies him, comes in him, or it's called in, in First Peter, new birth. And, uh, then, in other words, the person is awakened to the love and the beauty and the treasure that God actually is to the human soul. And that they come in, they realize how that happened. It's the cross, and wow, God's love is deeper than they ever imagined. That it cost Him the incarnation and the sacrificial death of His Son. So, so we, the sinner, were awakened to find ourselves having willingly come to the Shepherd and the Guardian of our soul we have responded to Jesus the shepherd who says come unto me all you who are heavy laden and burdened my yoke yes i will take stuff and i will guide your life but it's not legalism it's light you want me to have reins on you and we say yes so in other words when we when that happens here's the gospel it comes it breaks in and we're Enlightened. That happens, we see it, we get it, or as the Apostle Paul put it, when God has shown, meaning shined in our hearts, the light of the knowledge, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. At that moment, this is what I think is going on. So, hope at that moment we died to sin, meaning at new birth the sin nature was not eradicated. Okay, get it. But at new birth it was altered. The core of your life, we we call the soul, the heart, the affections, right down there, something miraculous and eternal has begun and transpired. And you're dead to sin. Meaning, you're dead to sin in a way that you were not and could not be before the Holy Spirit came in new birth in your hearing of the Gospel that brought you to life. You've been given new desires. He shined the light in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2. But as Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 5, But God made you alive together with Christ. He spiritually united you with Him by God, the Holy Spirit. And thus, you're dead to sin in the sense that your perspective on your innate sin nature which remains with you is different. You're not the same You're aware of sin in a way that you could not have been when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You're aware of the deceit of sin, which in its core says, follow after the passions of your sinful innate desires. Live for what the world says live for. That will bring you real happiness. Not trusting in God. That's sin. Oh, you fall into it since you're a Christian. Definitely! But if you're a Christian, you don't fall into it the same way you used to. You have the mercy and the grace called repentance. A heart that actually hates. This body, as Paul calls it, of sin and new birth, the death blow to sin, has been struck. Your view, your perspective, how you're living daily has changed, and it puts you on a different pathway. Life. We die to sin. Peter says. By the work of the cross, because it has produced new birth, it has purchased new birth. Say it this way it's because the work of the Holy Spirit is convincing us of God's real love, real treasure, which sin, by definition, is always competing with. Don't. That's not true. You'll be more happy here. And that's the battle that actual new birth places human sinners in until they hit the grave. And that's why he says at verse 25, here's what new birth produces, for you were straying like sheep without a shepherd, lost, dead to God. You could have been religious, oh yeah, but you were dead to God. Dead in your trespasses and sin. Strain like sheep. But new birth came. You have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. And so that's why what Peter means by the atonement of Jesus being for the goal that believers are those who are changed and in process by dying, Sin in living to righteousness. Now, that right there, that, that last statement summarizing what I've said up to this point, it's just, it's central, foundational Christianity, biblical Christianity. It's it's what Peter's doing here is really similar to what Paul does at more length in chapter 6 of Romans. I want you to turn there. See, both Peter and Paul, they're essentially saying this, that the branch, not the root now, the branch that grows out of the cross, Christ's atonement, is... Progressing in righteousness. That's what they're saying. I mean, it's why, that's how Jesus spoke all the time. You'll know the tree by its fruit. You'll know if they've been born again, if they're actual Christians, by fruit they bear. I mean, he's really blunt. Paul's saying the same thing. Peter's saying the same thing. There's a branch that comes out of the root of the atonement. So, if you're in chapter 6, what Paul is dealing with, the question he's dealing with is okay, Paul, if I've been understanding you, okay, isn't the cross of Christ. came and he, he made atonement. He made propitiation. And that is a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it, Paul. That's, it, it, as we saw last week, it's propitiation to be received by faith. And so isn't the gospel that God saves people by grace alone through faith Receive it alone. Apart from anything you do. Apart from any work of the Holy Spirit causing you to do righteousness. Paul, isn't that the gospel? Yes, is his answer. Yes, that is it. Don't miss it and don't confuse it. This is what he's doing in Romans at this point. That is the answer. Yes. But that truth, which is distinct from what he's going to say in chapter 6, is not ultimately separated. You, You don't separate the truth of justification by faith alone through grace alone and say, therefore, there's no such thing that necessarily must flow from the cross of Christ called pursuing righteousness or sanctification. So, if you're there in Romans 6, I'm trying not to read the whole chapter, I'm going to probably read down to verse 14. Hear the Apostle Paul Feel the question. Feel the tension. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? For one who has died has been free or set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once For all of us. The life that he lives, he lives to God. And so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. And alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore rule or reign in your mortal body, in order to make you obey its passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Because sin will have no dominion over you Because you are not under law, but you are under grace. Stop different. See, Paul's point is that the one, the person, will be saved from sin unto eternity. Why? Because they are united to Christ by faith. And by faith, alone this is this is Romans now a conjunction and there is a type of direction in life that flows out of that union with Christ that now not just concentrate like the last two weeks what happened on the cross boom how is one justified by anything they do No, no, no. Only by faith and faith alone apart from works. Yes. Now you take the whole of salvation. We're still living here, aren't we? Christ hasn't come back yet. Judgment day is still future. This is all lays in front of us. You take the whole ball of wax, and the Bible talks sometimes this way, and then who is it that will be saved? Well, it's that whole ball of wax. The cross has purchased your justification before God. Forgiveness of sins, perfect righteousness, nothing to do with your Christian life and how good you become or how you even become a better person because of the Holy Spirit. Nope, it's on Christ in Christ alone. But out of that flows a branch of fruit called sanctification which Christ purchased and so it's there to one degree or another. And that sanctification itself, if you look at it in the big picture on Judgment Day, is the road and the only road to eternal life. Look how he says it in verse 22 of Romans 6. He goes on, and in verse 22 he comes and he says, But now that you have been set free from sin, Sounds a little bit like Peter, right? And have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its goal, or its Outcome or its end is eternal life. Now, Paul's whole point here in Romans 6 is there's no salvation without the work of the Spirit in your heart. And, and it produces to one degree or another, it, it, there's a life of sanctification. But it's the fruit, it's not the root. Of justification. This sanctification. Growing in righteousness. Dying to sin. Living to righteousness. Is not the ground. It's not the cause. Of salvation. It's not the cause of justification. Forgiveness of sins. It's not the cause of getting you. United with Christ. It's. The fruit. And just a Massive. Huge difference. It's not the cause. It's the evidence. And the reason in the book of Romans at this point that it's so important for the Apostle Paul to pound this truth is because he knows from life experience in his ministry how easy it is for us sinful Saints to distort justification by faith alone. That's what he's doing. See, in the larger context of Romans, Paul has come right up to... Remember, he didn't write chapter 6 or verses, okay? But he's come up to what we see as the end of chapter 5 with this... And unless a person's converted, they cannot like this. This radical gospel... Grace alone. By faith alone. Through Christ's bloody sacrifice where God has poured out His righteous, holy anger on sinners. That that does not sell. And He won't sell out. And this is what He said. And He's been clear for the first five chapters. He has been so clear to say, You were born in sin. In Adam. We've all sinned. And brought condemnation upon ourselves. And in Christ. We shall all be made alive. And be made the righteousness of God. Just look up a couple verses. See that? The end of chapter 5. Start with verse 18. Therefore. As one trespass led to the condemnation of everybody, that's Adam's trespass, so one act of righteousness, that's Christ's life. One act of righteousness leads to justification of life to all men. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam's, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, Christ perfect life, the second Adam, the many will be made righteous. And so after laying out this radical grace in these first five chapters, He knows how easy we sinful beings... Oh, I know. Then I'm going to I'll draw this implication from that. And there's books written on it today. And it was happening in his own day, drawing dead
1: wrong,
0: unbiblical conclusions from everything he said. And we know this was going on today. Listen to what Paul said back in chapter three of Romans. He says this in three verse seven eight. If through my lie God's Truth abounds to His glory. That for His glory, right, Paul? Yes. Uh, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? If that's your theology, Paul. Oh, he's dealing with all this. Okay. Okay. And he said, hey, hey, and why not just go ahead? I mean, if, here's, if you guys actually listen to Paul's gospel, why don't we just go ahead and, and do evil? That sin may come. I mean, that that do evil. That good may come from it. That's what Paul's been teaching. And there's a sense in which he has been teaching that. But if people hear that and then say, Therefore, hey, I believe in Christ and I have justification for sinning. Now you're just dead wrong. But watch so, so let me finish his quote. And why not do evil that good may come as some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. So, he comes to the end of chapter 5. If you look at verse 20, he says, The law of Moses. The law. God. What is right? Wrong. Righteousness. Do this. Don't do this. How you live. It's a perfect law. It's a holy law. It's a spiritual law. The law came in order to increase sins. That's what? <laughs> it's a stunning statement. Paul, Verse 20, chapter 5. God sent Moses not to save you, but to increase your sins. And he did. And it worked. He wanted legalism to run its full course before Christ came. And it did. That's why you see when Jesus gets really angry at humans, it's the religious leaders. It ran its course. The law came in in order that sins may increase. But, and here's here's a massive, crazy truth, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's why Jesus said, those who were forgiven little, love little. Those who are forgiven much, love much. Okay, so, this is what Paul's dealing with. Now, people miss thinking they're being logically consistent or drawing dead wrong conclusions. So, he comes to chapter 6, and he asks the rhetorical question, which means he's making a statement. What shall we say then to the gospel I, Paul, am preaching? Shall we say this? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? See, he knows twisted minds may come to that conclusion. The more I sin, the more grace. Paul's answer is no. And then he gives the reason why. Because if you've actually come to faith and thus been united with Christ, true believers cannot go on living in the same habitual direction of an unhindered sinful lifestyle that's what he says very well in chapter 6 of romans and so be clear paul's objection is he go, what we just read in chapter 6 it is not oh no 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 wait a minute you you might have misunderstood the core of the gospel. You might have misunderstood justification by faith alone. He, he's not saying, wait a minute, I didn't really mean that you could have eternal life, be totally forgiven of your sin, forever, be guaranteed the future resurrection, to live and be with God and with His people and the bride of Christ and His kingdom forever by only by grace, apart from any works, because after all, it really is based on your pursuing righteousness. No, it's not what he's saying. It's not based on your pursuing righteousness. His point is not that justification will not lead to a life of unrighteousness, Because law keeping after all is part of what you must do in order to be saved. That's not what he's saying. Nor is it what Peter is saying. It's not the error that he is addressing. He's answering the question of why it is that truly justified by faith alone, through grace alone people, by truly justified people don't continue in sin in the way they did before they were converted in an unrepentant and a habitual manner that's what he's doing in chapter 6 so he opens up what do we say to this shall we continue in sin that grace may abound answer verse 2 no no way stronger than God forbid by no means Answer, why not, Paul? How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so he starts to unfold in chapter 6. We're not going to go there for time. And so his basic way he unfolds it, he says, don't you get it? When Christ died on the cross for sin in some mysterious way, all who will believe in Him died with Him to sin and when christ was resurrected from the dead in some mind blowing way he that person the justified person is come alive to righteousness his whole point is christianity true christianity gospel centered christianity is not a club that you join It's not a card you sign. It's not a prayer that you say. It's a miraculous work of God on your heart that the cross of Christ produced. And thus, the direction of your life starting from your heart is different. That's what he's saying. It's different. And what Paul does there in Romans 6, it's essentially... The same structure that Peter gives us, saying, look, coming out of the tentacles of the core of the cross, your sins are put away, is this far-reaching work called sanctification, or the way Peter just puts it. Paul calls it sanctification, pursuing righteousness. Peter says, dying to sin and living to righteousness. So, as we're going to close here in the next eight minutes, turn back now to our text in 1 Peter. And notice what he does now. Everything we saw, He states the purpose of the cross. Okay, And then, He says it again. He restates it by quoting Isaiah 53 verse 5. So listen to Him. He, Christ Himself, bore our sins in His body on the tree. So that we might die to sin. And live to righteousness. And Peter stops here. Let me grab Isaiah. Let me say what I meant again. By his wounds, you have been healed. Okay. What do you mean by his wounds? Christ bore sins in his body on the tree. Okay. What do you mean by have been healed? In order that you may live to righteousness by dying. To sin. He's saying the cross of Christ didn't just make that life pursuit possible. It guaranteed it. It purchased it. It's not merely an offer. It's a guarantee purchased by the cross. That's just there's tension. How do I wanna The cons- what just put it this way? I'm gonna take the minute. In the Bible, Jesus talks very strangely. The kingdom of God is present, it's here. Power's there. And then the next sentence, the kingdom of God is not yet. It's future. And you got this the kingdom is present. It's here. It's happening now. And then it's not fully here yet. it's not in its consummation yet. And in different words you got it going on in Paul, and you got it going on in Peter. So Christ, let's talk about the salvation that is not yet complete. When that judgment day, the great white throne, the resurrection of the righteous, the books are open. The consummated kingdom, evil Satan done away with. That will happen. Christ purchased all of that on the cross. You will not die of cancer anymore. You will not sin anymore. The fullness of what He purchased in its consummation is still not yet. But the reality of what still awaits has broken off from the future and come back into time and space in your life right now if you're a true believer. And there's a taste of that reality. Paul calls this the down payment of the spirit, et etc, in other words, there is a process called sanctification that 's going on in the midst of your sin that what comes after chapter six of Romans chapter yeah, and if you know your Bible, you know when you, you should be able to just say Romans seven Romans seven means the more that I am experiencing Union with Christ by the Spirit. Not the less you're aware of sin, the more you're aware of sin in your life. It's weird. and I get nervous around professing Christians that talk the other way. Just, what are you talking about? Because the Spirit lives in you and you will sin to your dying day, but not like you once did. Because of the Spirit in you. And that's the evidence that you're real. Real briefly, notice that depending on it, if you ever came through like I did and some of you had the horrendous, dangerous theology called Word of Faith. One of the four verses that they knew or thought they knew and quoted was in our text. By His wounds you have been healed. You ever hear that? Anybody? Meaning Jesus on the cross atoned for all of your diseases and sicknesses so that you don't have to die of cancer right now. You're too young and the reason that you might die of cancer is because your faith in the atonement isn't strong enough. No. They have no idea what's going on in Scripture. It's not true. They don't understand the tension. Did Jesus buy perfect physical healing forever? Yes. It's called the resurrection. Won't He heal now? Yes, He will. And He does, but not everybody. We just have a taste of it. But having said that, this text here, Peter's looking at Isaiah 53, what Isaiah himself means, and what Peter Himself means in no way could be, if you take context seriously, be referring to you getting healed from that cold or living in divine physical health. It cannot mean that. The proof is just its context because He's restating. When He says, by Christ's wounds you have been healed, He's restating what He just said. The cross, in order that you may die to sin. And lived righteousness, and then right after that, verse twenty-five, he is unfolding, saying, "Let me say what I just said again. In other words, you were straying like sheep, and now you have returned. This is a heart issue to the to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So the healing in the context." if I can just say it in different words, it is conversion. It is new birth. It is the Holy Spirit bringing you alive to Christ, you who were dead in trespasses and sin. It is thus bringing into you saving faith. It is, this is all saying the same thing, bringing you as a strange sheep back to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. And so, what does Christ bore sins in His body, on the cross, in order that we may die to sin and live to righteousness mean? It means that He may heal our sin disease. And it will never be consummated down here. But we will find ourselves in a direction tasting of what it is to hate the sin in our life and thus find ourselves overcoming habitual sins by the work of the Spirit in our lives. It means, at its core, He's brought you back to the shepherd. You're His. You're not a goat. You're a lamb. You belong to the great shepherd. And not straying But returning, that is the key. Not just back in 1981 when Joe's life was forever changed. But that's the key to sanctification. That's the key to the pattern of dying to sin and living to righteousness, walking daily with Jesus. Paul, say it in different words, Paul, help me. What is this Christian life? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and, and the life i well yes, of course I do live. But see how it 's different, but the life I now live, I live by faith in the of God, wait, wait no, Paul doesn 't mean faith meaning oh you stuff that doesn 't make any sense to you, you kind of believe it that 's not what biblical faith is, stuff that makes all the sense in the world to me now, Paul's saying. The bloody cross. Justification. by faith alone caused me, a religious, legalistic Pharisee, to chuck it all and to rest on Him. And I live that way daily. I live by faith, trusting Him. Returning, hanging out with the shepherd is. The process of sanctification. The process that your life is growing. You're changing. And all of that, say it were possible, of course you wouldn't get the humility button, but you became the most sanctified saint in the world. All of that Don't miss it. It's only the fruit. It's only the evidence. It's not the root or the cause of justification. Of your eternal salvation. But having said that, how can we who claim there's an answer we can do this for periods of time but again rhetorically how can we who claim the spirit has opened my eyes I have a living hope and the eternal inheritance laid up for me in heaven though I don't see Jesus I love him I really do I, I returned to the shepherd and guard my souls then find yourself week after week after week after week Maybe burying a sermon like this, but not hearing it. Week after week after week, you look back and say, how much time have you just gotten alone with the shepherd over your Bible? This dynamic is the essence of dying to the sins that are knocking at your door every day. It's the essence of... Of watching fruit of the Holy Spirit. Look at that. Righteousness was seen visible in my life today. By the work of the Spirit. Don't ever be deceived. That you can hang out with a shepherd. And that you're actually hanging out with a shepherd. This is your pattern. Sitting in a tree and saying speak to me Jesus. Don't ever be deceived. You're hanging out from the shepherd and getting what you need from the shepherd when you ignore this book. You can't ignore what he's saying, do you? And it's not just the Psalms. They're beautiful. It's not just Proverbs. Awesome. It's not just awesome. Read Romans. Sit with a shepherd and read Romans. Read Philippians. Read First Peter. Read the Psalms. Read Proverbs. With quantity time with the shepherd. It will be harder that day. I say day because, boy, is the next day different. It will be harder that day to sin the way you would have if you didn't do it. Let's pray. Father, Oh, may the clarity, the centrality, and the distinction, yet the connection between justification by faith alone, by the grace of the cross alone, and its distinction from the reality and the preciousness of the grace of sanctification become more and more clear in the lives of us here at Abundant Grace. To the glory of Your name. Amen.